Chapter Four of My Chinese Marriage by May Fran King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four The Eternal Hills. As I followed my Chinese mother into her apartments, I thought of the benevolent croakings of friends. Their words rattled through my memory like pebbles shaken in a pail she can never be happy with a chinese husband later it was it is all very well in america but wait until she goes to china when i had happily established myself there heaven help her said they if she tries to live with her chinese mother-in-law in shanghai foreign friends had predicted oh yes she's lovely in your house but wait until you try living in her house this is the last ditch margaret i said to myself take it clear either you are about to make one more argument against intermarriage or you are going to settle the question forever so far as your case is concerned mother and i went to dinner together somewhat later than usual we attacked our food very bravely eyes down i glanced up inadvertently and the sight of tears on her cheeks released mine too i leaned forward and took her hand and we struggled with a sentence or two no tears i said be patient she answered next morning after the amma had dressed young alicia while the cheerful child was following me about the room with her eyes and talking merry baby talk i took her up and went earlier than usual to see mother i found her sitting up in bed she was dressed for the day and the blankets were rolled back against the side of the wall making a comfortable couch for her thinking of chan king i looked at the row of little cabinets extending across the back halfway up toward the canopy i remember chan king's telling me of the year when he was still small enough to stand under these fascinatingly carved cabinets where his mother stored her trinkets and toilet articles embroidery silks perfumes and the endless paraphernalia of her quiet life and of the pride he felt when he bumped his head one day and found that he must stoop to be comfortable wilfred was just high enough now to stand easily under the cabinets but in some mysterious fashion the little image of him presented at this moment to my fancy became that of the small far-away chan king whom i was forever recreating in my mind as i went about the house where he had lived his pleasant youth this morning i laid alicia on the bed near madame liang she bent over her and made a moi into the rosy face i was very much pleased when madame liang was unusually attentive to alicia though my sense of justice always reminded me that my own scotch mother would probably have made more of the boys but our alicia was the first daughter in two generations of my husband's family and even though the sons were of priceless value to the clan she was loved and cherished tenderly it seemed to me at times that the household was more fond of her than of all the boys together 
including madame springtime's young kyung song who filled the left wing of the compound with his shouts of glee as he played riding-horse on his precarious bamboo stool i remembered with amusement the western idea that daughters are unwelcome always in chinese families while madame liang patted the baby talking to her coaxingly i asked what she wished me to do she indicated on her dressing-table a box of stereoscopic views which i brought to her they formed a complete story but had become very much confused as i could read the foreign titles would i kindly arrange the pictures in proper sequence the ease and speed with which i accomplished this task won her instant approbation this was merely one of the numberless small things i did for her thereafter in my new estate i was in attendance on my mother during many hours of the day i walked with her in the garden in fine weather i sat with her and sewed threading needles as for my own mother and even helping her to make those marvellous small shoes that she fashioned so carefully to the form of her feet one day i told her how amazed i had been when i first learned from chan king that chinese wives made the family shoes but how readily i could understand when i saw the dainty embroidered footwear he referred to that shoemaking was indeed a womanly craft she and madame chow used to take great pride in making for themselves the most frivolous of shoes madame chow's were the smaller being barely two and a half inches long whereas those of my mother were twice that length and different in shape i discovered the reason for this madame chow clung tenaciously to the old style but mother had gradually let out her bandages and altered their arrangement keeping pace with the change that followed the abolition of the old custom i became deeply interested in the custom of foot-binding in shanghai all the pupils of my school and with certain notable exceptions the women of my social world had natural feet and the majority of them wore american pumps and oxford's or english boots bound feet though i saw them frequently in public seemed very remote but now save the girls of twelve and under who had profited by the new order of things the women among whom i lived all had bound feet it may be worth noting when one remembers how america with its own great unwashed jokes at the expense of the chinese of whatever rank or station that in accordance with the fastidious cleanliness of upper-class chinese the bound feet were exquisitely cared for and the narrow white specially woven bandages were changed every two or three days as i watched the daintily shod women of my mother's household i realized that never before had i appreciated in reading the literature of my adopted country the aptness of comparing the walk of a woman with bound feet to the grace of bamboo swaying in the breeze never had i suspected the charm attached to twinkling flashes of embroidery beneath a panelled many-plated skirt 
my own number four feet assumed alarming proportions i grew positively ashamed of them one day as mother and i sat together in armchairs with a blackwood tea-table between us i placed my feet in line with hers and said sighing ah they look very bad indeed she waved a deprecating hand never mind she said with courtesy and truth they may not look so well but they certainly walk better of course i was glad that the small alicia belonged to young china and would purchase no golden lilies with a cask of tears as i had often read that every woman with bound feet must do but i now decided that the cask must have been filled in the years of girlhood for the women about me seemed to suffer no pain only an occasional numbness relieved by brisk massage from knee to ankle under the hands of a maid i was surprised at the ease and energy with which they got about merely balancing with small forward and backward steps when stopping unless they had a servant's arm or a cane for support i thought our mother infinitely superior in the grace and dignity of her carriage madame springtime who had slightly enlarged her feet at the command of her husband moved slowly and with a lack of grace characteristic of the younger generation madame chang moved ponderously and with difficulty madame chow hurried with quick fluttering steps on occasion she would even run races with alfred our merry second son now two and a half years old she would catch his hand lean forward and hurry him the length of the hall the two of them laughing gaily now and then i would fold my hands balance on my heels and essay a willow walk to the great amusement of mother and madame chow life went very evenly for me in my chinese mother's house after my husband's departure his father had not come home for his semi-annual visit and the second son was away again even the quiet mild-mannered third son who looked just like his mother and who used to bring me roses from the garden every day had sailed for the island port to take his place in the family business we were under a benevolent matriarchate in the snug compound among the brown hills now brightening to springtime green madame liang was infallibly generous and kind i never heard her speak sharply except occasionally to servants who had by their carelessness caused something to go amiss impeding the smooth progress of daily family life i used to watch her with interest as she directed the household affairs from the throne of her great bed she rarely gave her orders at first hand but would summon a relative or an upper servant who would receive and pass them down to those for whom they were intended this imparted to her orders an empress-like finality and importance the servants gave her complete allegiance she took great pride in conducting me through the complicated structure where generations of liangs had lived and died 
extending back from the main establishment was a series of smaller ones like it each with its own courtyard its main hall containing the family altar its private chambers opening on each side similar chains of homes within a home extended east and west at right angles to this central chain mother showed me the rooms she had occupied as a bride with the chamber where cheng king was born when the older madame liang ruled affairs with a firm yet kindly hand i felt deeply moved by all this more than ever a part of the family i made many small mistakes i know in my effort to practice the toleration industry and courtesy exemplified in that family group but mother unlike many of the oversensitive easily offended chinese women of her class was divinely patient she never asked of me anything that she deemed unfitting for me and she showed a wise discernment in all the small tasks she assigned i sometimes accompanied her to the temple or to the ancestral graves but only as a spectator her religious toleration required no compromise she wanted me to see where grandparents and great-grandparents were laid to rest she knew i was interested and filled with respect to madame springtime fell the task of caring for the family altar and keeping up the daily devotions before the sacred shrine this young wife was in every way so typical of the old-fashioned chinese woman trained but not educated disciplined but not broken that i found in her a continual source of interest she was naturally shy and silent but after a time we talked a little and one day she showed me her bridal trunks of white lacquer with red and gold decorations filled to the top with her bridal finery exquisitely folded and the clothes for her first child which had been provided by her parents as a part of her wedding outfit this latter custom of Chang-King's native province appealed to me it was typical of the many simplicities i found among my adopted people those small brilliant colored garments of padded silk and brocade and linen were symbols of hope good omens for happiness and a fruitful marriage accustomed as i was to falsely puritanic ideals concerning the important realities of life marriage and birth their frank attitude toward fundamentals their unquestioning acceptance of the facts of existence came as a pleasant surprise to me i liked also the curious contrast between their simple view of elemental things and the formality and rigor of their personal etiquette it is the manner of an old and ever cultivated race who have long since ceased building at the foundation and are now occupied with the decorations of life their scheme of daily living is based on the firm belief that the normal mode of human existence is family life to this end it must be preserved at any cost life cannot develop in discord if the amenities are worth anything at all they are worth preserving constantly and at whatever personal sacrifice life behind the arched gate was so pleasant and so filled with small daily occupations 
that I thought little of going about. The village had no theatre. On festal days performances were given by travelling troops on temporary stages, in temples or private houses. But we occasionally attended the theatre in the great city nearby, and when we had guests staying with us for several days, they sometimes accompanied us. We were rather an impressive sight, I fancy, borne at a brisk trot in half a dozen sedan chairs, down the irregular path at dusk, preceded and followed by men-servants carrying lanterns. The children led a sheltered, happy existence with servants and young relatives to amuse them, indoors or without, as the weather permitted. They were liberally supplied by their indulgent grandmother with pocket-money in the form of handfuls of coppers instead of the strings of cash that sufficed an earlier generation. From passing vendors they bought bows and arrows of brightly painted bamboo, whistling birds and theatrical figures of colored earthenware, inflated rubber toys, and an endless variety of rice-flour cakes, sesame-seed confections, peanut taffy and millet candy. On festal days the choice was wider than ever, with fluffy bunches of sugar-wool, fine spun syrup, and brittle candy toys, blown from molten taffy with all the glass-blower's art, in the form of lanterns, birds, and fish, mounted on slender sticks. At certain seasons there were huge fish made of bamboo frames, paper-covered and realistically painted, which swam in a breeze with lazy grace, or kites similarly fashioned to represent birds and dragons, which winged upward in fascinating flight. There was a limited foreign settlement in this same city, and several of the American and British women came to call on me. Some of them were frankly curious to know how I had come through the ordeal by family, as one of them expressed it, though of course they were very tactful. Mother was much interested in these visitors, many of whom, if able to speak Chinese, I presented to her. When they left she would often ask questions as to their nationality, their husband's occupation, the number of their children. As for that question, most of them confessed to one child or occasionally two. But I shall never forget the call of a strikingly handsome, auburn-haired woman, and the conversation that followed her departure. In reply to the usual inquiry, I said, No children at all. But she has five dogs, and has just bought, in Shanghai, two more, which are coming down on the next steamer. "'No children at all, and five, seven dogs?' said Mother in tones of horror. And then we burst out laughing. But quickly she sobered. "'Foreign women do not care for children,' she said. "'I do,' I protested. "'I like many children.' "'You,' said my mother with a smile, "'are a Chinese wife.' But happily my next caller was a sweet-faced American woman, the proud mother of six, two of whom she had brought with her. So our national reputation was saved. 
in these days i thought a great deal about intermarriage as a problem back in shanghai a returned student who visited in our home for several days had said to chang king afterward i almost married an american girl while i was in college i wish now i had been brave enough to do so at that time i felt very sorry for the unknown girl who had missed all the happiness that was coming to me and now i was more sure than ever of the true quality of my happiness there was no doubt at all on that score but i realized that many many ways in which everything might have been spoiled had my husband been less considerate less sincere and loyal had his family been less kindly and broad-minded had i myself been capricious and wilful or unable to adapt myself to surroundings i might every day have plumbed the depths of misery i decided that no rules could be made about intermarriage it was an individual problem as indeed all marriage must be so when a young girl back home in america wrote to me for advice believing herself in love with a chinese classmate and concluded you mrs liang must settle the question for me i answered as i should not have done a year earlier that is a question that you too alone are competent to settle no one can advise you safely for a mistake either way may result in lifelong unhappiness but i might venture to suggest that love strong enough to stand the test of intermarriage does not seek advice it is sure of itself in a household where only my eldest son and i spoke english my lingual struggles were unexpectedly mild chan king had left me a list of everyday phrases and my ear grew very keen in my constant efforts to understand the rapid speech going on around me all day long in a short while i could understand virtually everything said to me during the long conversations that mother and i had in the quiet of the evening we talked much of chan king and she displayed treasured relics of his boyhood a small jacket of deep red velvet a worn cap a silver toy and the identical schoolbook in which he began the study of english i loved them all loved her the more for cherishing them and was made supremely happy by being given a photograph of chan king at an earlier age than any he possessed she was very much interested in all our photographs too she was vastly amused at chan king arrayed for college theatricals and when i brought out pictures of myself at all ages of my parents and grandparents she traced family resemblances with an unerring perception sometimes we looked at magazines that chan king sent us from the capital or talked of various foreign customs i soon found it very easy to talk with her and with her help i learned also to read and write simple chinese characters for a very liberal-minded father had given her educational advantages enjoyed by few girls of her generation when the hands of her small ebony clock pointed to twelve she would touch my hand gently and say time for you to sleep but first i must write to chang king i would answer 
she would shake her finger at me with kindly caution it is too late she would answer you must sleep i would hold out firmly on this point but my mother if i do not write to cheng king i cannot sleep she would assent then and next day i would carry the pages to show her for my letters to cheng king and his voluminous responses were a source of much amusement to her i translated these letters as faithfully to her as my chinese would allow and in my letters always added messages dictated by her i was learning the romanized method of writing chinese which for our dialect has been remarkably developed and standardized mother was much interested when i showed her how to write familiar words with foreign letters and cheng king always answered these messages in kind though his mother and he carried on a regular correspondence in the chinese characters those children write long letters to each other fifteen and twenty pages at a time she often told her friends with manifest delight beyond this personal companionship with my mother which i enjoyed very much there was no restraint put upon me in any way i was free to walk out alone to return calls and to shop in the city my own sense of fitness prompted me always to present myself at the door of my mother's apartment before i left the house to explain to her the nature of my errand and to ask for her approval accepting the little formality for the courtesy it was she never once demurred she was accustomed to this respect and i saw no reason for withholding it all the invitations i received from acquaintances either foreign or chinese i declined or accepted as she advised because i relied upon her unfailing knowledge of people and social customs twice during those months of chang king's absence death came near once it was a clever young boy an only son in whom high hopes had been centred and then the young girl who had accompanied mother to shanghai she was no servant in the ordinary sense but an orphaned distant relative of mother's madame liang was always kind and generous with her and when soon after her return from the trip to shanghai which had been a great event in her quiet life a promising marriage offer was made she was sent forth to her new home with a complete bridal outfit hearing at last of our presence in the family home she put on her wedding dress of pale green and came to see me her evident pleasure in the meeting touched me poignantly with bright eagerness she told me of her husband her kind mother-in-law with pride she described her tiny son after a gay hour with the children she left promising to come again but i never saw her afterward death took her abruptly from her happiness i began to think of death as something not so remote after all several times a group of us children and cousins and friends and servants made short chair trips into the hills the sight of thousands of graves their stones whitening the hillsides for miles in some places impressed me more and more with the comparative shortness of life 
scattered over many of these hills are curious monuments of stone called widow arches each one standing alone usually by a roadside in commemoration of a faithful wife who in ancient days killed herself at the death of her husband a widow who wished to make this sacrifice would after a short lapse of time announce her intention of committing suicide the members of her family would erect a high stage for her and invite relatives and friends to attend the ceremony at the chosen hour the lady would hang herself and a high stone arch would later be erected as a memorial of her devotion and heroism in the chinese family the widow who does not remarry receives honor and veneration second only to the mother-in-law with age she acquires added authority she is not forbidden to remarry but the conditions of second marriage are made difficult enough to discourage any but the most intrepid the children of her first husband remain in the house of his people and the family of her second husband do not give her any too cordial a welcome one naturally prefers free will in these things yet i had a whole-hearted sympathy with the idea of life widowhood long before i dreamed it was to be my portion painful as the widow arches was to me at first my convictions made the chinese view of them seem not unnatural though i knew the custom had been forbidden by imperial edict some two centuries earlier even in the days when chang king and i believed that our love would somehow give us earthly immortality the idea was strong in me that those who loved truly death could only extinguish the torch for a moment to relight it in the clearer flame of eternity then i cherished this thought in the background of my mind now i live by it for this reason too i have always found the chinese attitude toward the dead very comforting they never for a moment relinquish hold on their loved ones the death-day anniversary is as festal an occasion as the day of birth the pageant of life marches without a break birth to death and beyond and birth again the generations endlessly touching mystical hands until the individual feels himself to be part of an endless procession that passes for a moment into a white light and out again feels himself touching those who came before and those who came after one of a long line bound together irrevocably with all their ethics of personal sacrifice and their preoccupation with the idea of eternity the chinese have no ascetic contempt for the material world and they earnestly desire and seek length of days among the varied symbols and characters used to express good wishes as health honor riches those for long life hold preeminence they are wrought in rings bracelets hair ornaments and are sewed into bridal garments and upon children's little coats and caps i always felt this enormous respect for life in all their daily customs the preparing of the baby clothes when the bride left her father's house the nurturing and strengthening of the clan with many children 
the reverent regard for the graves of the ancestors to whom the living owed their grace of existence on several occasions i accompanied my mother on her visits to the ancestral graves i remember the last time only a few days before chang king's return that i walked with her holding one of her hands while with the other she grasped her gold-headed cane she wore a light costume a plaited black skirt and lavender coat and lovely black kid shoes servants followed with her baskets of offerings we stood at a respectful distance in silence while she performed her rites all about were placed papers weighted down with small stones she knelt and clasping her hands devoutly repeated her prayers under her breath then assisted by a servant she burned the paper symbols of refreshment and replenishment for the dead firecrackers were exploded to clear the air of evil spirits and the ceremony was over as we returned to the village everywhere people called out to her from their doorways and she invariably replied with friendly courtesy in the outskirts we stopped for rest and a visit at the home of a cousin when we left many of the relatives and friends went with us a little way crying out repeatedly good-bye and come again come again soon i saw the sunlight on tiger mountain i smelled the saltness of the sea as we passed around the great boulders that hid them from our sight the modulated cadence of their come again come again soon floated to us it was the last time i should hear it as i was then and i did not even dream that it was so for a month i had been expecting the arrival of chen king his letters were always love letters and with added paragraphs saying that he was getting on well with his work and would have much to tell me of it when he came home at last a letter told us to expect him by a certain steamer on a certain day but schedules were still in confusion because of the war that steamer was delayed and chenking sailed for another port meaning to change there more delays followed more letters of explanation more delays again mother and i both became heartsick with hope deferred at last one morning worn out with watching i slept later than usual and on that morning chang king came home awakened out of a long drowse i heard a stir in the quiet house the clang of a gong a rush of padded footfalls in the outer hall happy voices mingled in greeting at the door of my mother's apartment i threw on my robe tucked alicia under my arm and ran across the room flinging the door open even as Chan King had his hand raised to knock at the panel. I saw him dimly in the wavering light. He was smiling, and behind him stood his mother, also smiling. Each of us solemnly spoke the other's name, trying to erase, with a long look, the memory of all those months of absence. Then he saw the baby. Liasia! my thousand caddies of gold he said in chinese alicia smiled and held out her arms to him she recognizes him said mother in pleased surprise 
we three stood together a moment silently gathered round the child i felt myself more deeply absorbed into the clan a chinese woman dedicated anew heart and spirit to my adopted people later chan king explained to me the reason for his homecoming his legal service for the government had been completed and his expected appointment had come at last we were to return to america where he would be in the chinese consular service after a period in this work a bright future in the diplomatic field seemed assured it meant leaving behind my beloved china where i had firmly taken root but we agreed that the exile would be only for a few years and that we would return surely to our promised land there to enjoy our span of long life with honor now our leisurely existence was broken up to a degree almost immediately we set about preparations for our new life in america chan king looked forward with absorbing interest to the change almost as if he were going home my instant reaction was one of joy swiftly followed by sorrow at giving up things now loved and familiar i wanted to appear cheerful as a duty to those around me i did not want to seem too cheerful lest mother think me glad to go in this period at last i met my chinese father one beautiful day in early autumn chan king and i went down to the city returning in mid-afternoon as our chairs were set down before the entrance the gatekeeper announced to chan king his father's arrival i was filled with swift apprehension again chance had decided my costume i was wearing not the conservative chinese garb in which i had met my mother but a frilly american dress of blue and white summer silk a white lace hat with black velvet and pink rosebuds and white kid pumps chen king had on white flannels and a panama hat the latter he handed to a servant as also his cane as we entered the main room together a figure rose from beside mother to receive us i saw an elderly man of medium height with grim smooth-shaven face and gray hair he was wearing a long gown of deep blue silk with a black outer jacket and the usual round cap of black satin my husband first greeted him and then presented me while i stood uncertain there was a courteous inclination of the gray head the grimness of expression dissolved in a wonderfully winning smile and surprisingly as mother had done my chinese father extended his hand i felt that he was interpreting me in the light of all she had told him that his cordial hand-clasp and kindly words of welcome were his ratification of her judgment then with a courtly gesture he assigned me to his lately occupied chair beside mother while he and chen king took seats together opposite us mother smiled into my eyes with her happiest expression i felt that chen king's background was complete long before i had conceived of it as harsh and threatening but i had now proved it to be wholly kind and protecting at my recent fear of this last test i wondered and smiled 
father was much gratified at finding his sons able to converse fluently in his native speech he would gather them all about him for an hour at a time asking questions to test their practical knowledge or telling stories to amuse them alicia also delighted him at simple chinese commands she would now clasp her hands or fold them and bow profoundly mother was very proud of her wee granddaughter and would often say she is just as chang king was at her age and her husband would invariably assent with an indulgent smile there existed between these two conservative types though they were an evidence of mutual affection and respect of real companionship that touched me profoundly i was glad that father was to be with mother when chen king and i took ourselves and our three children from the home where according to the old chinese custom we all rightfully belonged the question of leaving one or more of our children there for a time was discussed one afternoon later under ordinary circumstances said father to chen king you would go alone as your brother does leaving your entire family with us at the very least you would allow one child to remain in your stead but of course your mother and i understand that these are not ordinary circumstances your wife is an american she has been considerate of our point of view in many ways more than we expected and in this matter we do not fail to consider hers which is no doubt your own as well we understand that according to the american view the children belong with their parents always we cannot of course deny your right to this manner of living but we want you to feel that if you can leave even one child with us we shall be very happy you understand what protection and care will be given it for a moment there was silence my heart was very full and even had it been my place to speak i should have been unable to do so mentally i pictured mother's loneliness at losing so many of her children vainly i tried to imagine our home in america with even one small face missing i watched my husband noted the tiny traces of conflict in his face impassive perhaps to the casual glance at last he spoke father mother he began earnestly we do indeed appreciate your great kindness and generosity you will understand that just as you understand most truly our situation we know that here with you our children would have many advantages that we perhaps cannot give them but which one could we leave to enjoy these advantages not wilfred for he is our eldest son on whom we place great dependence and alfred of us all he seems least fitted for the southern climate the summer heat has left him a little pale and listless he needs the sea voyage as for alicia she is the baby and our only daughter do not think us unmindful of all you have done but i fear we should not know how to make our home without our children after all it was evidently not unexpected 
they shook their heads a trifle ruefully at each other and then smiled very well father assented but this you must promise that at intervals whenever your work permits you will come back all of you and spend a year with us again do not let the children forget us nor their chinese speech in four years at most all come back together we promised readily mother and i repeating the phrase to each other in four more years all come back together our eyes were full of tears that night i said to my husband we should have left one of them but chang king was a clearer thinker and knew the truth of this situation better than i did which one he asked me significantly in a tone that made me see the essential hollowness of my protest on the sunday before our ship sailed chang king and i bade farewell to china in company with our parents and many other relatives we walked to the top of a very high hill where an old temple which commanded a magnificent view for miles around crouched contentedly among the rocks in the gray sunshine it was a temple of the three religions with huge stone images of confucius buddha and lao tse grouped in its outer court together chan king and i climbed to the crest of the terraced rock i looked about me down upon the proud bright little village alert and colorful on the hillside upon the scattering fertile patches in the midst of the barren mountains where tigers built their lairs the eternal hills swept the lowering clouded skies rolling away from us silent shadow-filled a surging love of the very soil under my feet a clinging to the earth of china overwhelmed me i wished to kneel down and kiss that beloved dust o oh, chang king i said shaking with emotion this is home i wish we were not leaving even for a day we will come again soon he said in chinese and we will live here when we are old that evening we sat together in the quiet garden from mother's apartments came the sound of her young nephew's voice as he chanted his morrow's lessons we heard the subdued merriment of two little maids teasing each other in the hall beyond along the outer path a sedan chair passed with rhythmic sway the bamboo supports creaking a soft accompaniment to the pad pad of the bearers sandaled feet from varying distances came the clang of a brass gong shuddering on the stillness the staccato sound of slender bamboo sticks shaken together in a cylindrical box the measured beat of a small drum-rattle as the different street vendors announced their wares over the hills now purple in twilight the round moon swung leisurely into the violet sky strange breaths of incense wafted about us the sea-breeze stirred the branches of a nearby dragon's-eye tree where the ripening fruit-balls tapped gently against each other like little swaying lanterns for long moments we sat in silence with clasped hands out of that silence my husband spoke softly 
words I had long yearned to hear. Absence, Margaret, teaches many things. Once it showed you your own heart. This time it has taught me to believe with you in the immortality of love like ours. Physically we may be separated at times, but mentally, spiritually, you and I are one for all eternity. A few days later we sailed for America. The rest may be told in a few words, for, after all, no words could adequately tell it. A week after our arrival in America, Chen King was stricken with influenza. For several years he had been in the shadow of a slow illness, but with stout resistance and such buoyant recurring periods of good health that we had for a time almost forgotten that early and sinister threat. But those years of struggle were all thrown into the balance against him when the decisive hour came. After six days he died, quietly, with terrible implacability, death closed over him. We feared a sudden end, it is true, but were still incredulous of such a calamity. We gave each other what assurance we could. Our ultimate farewells were simple renewals of faith, a firmer tightening of our hands for our walk in darkness. Of all the world you are my love, he said, many times. More than anyone else you have understood. You have been unfailing. You have been my wife. And almost as he spoke, my arms held no longer my living beloved, but only the clay where his spirit had been, and would come no more. So, by visible evidences, my history is finished, but it has begun anew for me, not as I wished, not as I hoped, but on a level that I can endure. For I have my children and my memories, and my home in China, which waits with the gentle healing of sight and sound and place. And I have learned that in love, and only in love, we can wring spiritual victory out of this defeat of the body. End of My Chinese Marriage by May Fran King Narrated by Danielle Cartwright